Book Six, Canto Seven of the Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Canto Seven. Turpin is baffled. His two knights do gain their treason's meed. Fair Mirabella's punishment for love's disdain decreed. Like as the gentle heart itself berays in doing gentle deeds with frank delight, even so the baser mind itself displays in cankered malice and revengeful sprite. For to malign, penvi, choose shifting slight be arguments of a vile dunghill mind, which what it dare not do by open might, to work by wicked treason ways doth find by such discourteous deeds discovering his base kind. That well appears in this discourteous knight the coward Turpin, whereof now I treat, who, notwithstanding that in former fight he of the prince his life received late, yet in his mind malicious and ingrate again devised to be avenged anew for all that shame which kindled inward hate. Therefore, so soon as he was out of view, himself in haste he armed, and did him fast pursue. Well did he track his steps as he did ride, yet would not near approach in danger's eye, but kept aloof, for dread to be descried, until fit time and place he mote espy, where he mote work him scath and villainy. At last he met two knights to him unknown, the which were armed both agreeably, and both combined whatever chance were blown betwixt them to divide, and each to make his own. To whom false Turpin coming courteously, to cloak the mischief which he inly meant, gan to complain of great discourtesy which a strange knight that near a foreign went had done to him, and his dear lady shent which, if they would afford him aid at need for to avenge in time convenient, they should accomplish both a knightly deed, and for their pains obtain of him a goodly meed. The knights believed that all he said was true, and being fresh and full of youthly sprite, were glad to hear of that adventure new, in which they mote make trial of their might, which never yet they had approved in fight, and eke desirous of the offered meed. Said then the one of them, where is that wight the which hath done to thee this wrongful deed, that we may it avenge and punish him with speed? He rides, said Turpin, there not far for with a wild man soft-footing by his side, that if ye list to haste a little more, ye may him overtake in timely tide. Eftsoons they pricked forth with forward pride, and ere that little while they ridden had, the gentle prince not far away they spied, riding a softly pace, with portents sad, devising of his love more than of danger dread. Then one of them aloud unto him cried, bidding him turn again, false traitor knight, foul woman-wronger, for he him defied. With that they both at once with equal spite did bend their spears, and both with equal might against him ran, but one did miss his mark and being carried with his force forthright, glanced swiftly by, like to that heavenly spark which gliding through the air lights all the heavens dark. But the other, aiming better, did him smite full in the shield, with so impetuous power that all his lance in pieces shivered quite, and, scattered all about, fell on the flower. But the stout prince, with much more steady stour, full on his beaver did him strike so sore that the cold steel through piercing did devour his vital breath, and to the ground him bore, 
where still he bathed lay in his own bloody gore. As when a cast of falcons make their flight at an hernshaw that lies aloft on wing, the whiles they strike at him with heedless might, the wary fowl his bill doth backward ring, on which the first, whose force her first doth bring, herself quite through the body doth engore, and falleth down to ground like senseless thing. But the other, not so swift as she before, fails of her souse, and passing by doth hurt no more. By this the other which was passed by, himself recovering, was returned to fight, where when he saw his fellow lifeless lie, he much was daunted with so dismal sight, yet not abating of his former spite, let drive at him with so malicious mind as if he would have passed through him quite. But the steelhead no steadfast hold could find, but glancing by, deceived him of that he designed. Not so the prince, for his well-learned spear took surer hold, and from his horse's back above a lance's length him forth did bear, and gainst the cold hard earth so sore him strake that all his bones in pieces nigh he brake. Where seeing him so lie, he left his steed, and to him leaping, vengeance thought to take of him for all his former folly's meed, with flaming sword in hand his terror more to breed. The fearful swain, beholding death so nigh, cried out aloud for mercy him to save. In lieu whereof he would to him descry great treason to him meant his life to reave. The prince soon hearkened, and his life forgave. Then thus said he, There is a stranger knight, the which, for promise of great meed, us drave to this attempt, to wreak his hid despite, for that himself thereto did want sufficient might. The prince much mused at such villainy, and said, Now sure ye well have earned your meed, for the one is dead, and the other soon shall die, unless to me thou hether bring with speed the wretch that hired you to this wicked deed. He, glad of life and willing eke to wreak the guilt on him which did this mischief breed, swore by his sword that neither day nor week he would surcease, but him whereso he were would seek. So up he rose, and forth straightway he went back to the place where Turpin laid he lore. There he him found in great astonishment to see him so bedight with bloody gore and grisly wounds that him appalled sore. Yet thus at length he said, How now, Sir Knight, what meaneth this which here I see before? How fortuneth this foul uncomely plight, so different from that which erst ye seemed in sight? Perdee, said he, in evil hour it fell that ever I for me did undertake so hard a task as life for hire to sell, the which I erst adventured for your sake. Witness the wounds, and this wide bloody lake which ye may see yet all about me steam. Therefore now yield, as ye did promise make, my due reward, the which right well I deem I yearned have, that life so dearly did redeem. But where then is, quoth he, half wrothfully, where is the booty, which thereof I bought, that cursed caitive, my strong enemy, that recreant knight, whose hated life I sought? And where is eke your friend, which half it ought? He lies, said he, upon the cold, bare ground, slain of that errant knight, with whom he fought whom afterwards myself with many a wound did slay again, as ye may see there in the stound. 
Thereof false Turpin was full glad and fain, and needs with him straight to the place would ride, where he himself might see his foemen slain, for else his fear could not be satisfied. So as they rode he saw the way all dyed with streams of blood, which tracting by the trail, ere long they came, whereas in evil tide that other swain, like ashes deadly pale, lay in the lap of death, ruing his wretched bale. Much did the craven seem to moan his case, that for his sake his dear life had forgone, and him bewailing with affection base, did counterfeit kind pity where was none. For where's no courage, there's no ruth nor moan. Thence passing forth, not far away he found whereas the prince himself lay all alone, loosely displayed upon the grassy ground, possessed of sweet sleep that lulled him soft in swound. Weary of travel in his former fight, he there in shade himself had laid to rest, having his arms and warlike things undight, fearless of foes that mote his peace molest. The whiles his savage page, that won't be pressed, was wandered in the wood another way, to do something that seemed to him best, the whiles his lord in silver slumber lay, like to the evening star adorned with dewy ray. Whom, when as Turpin saw so loosely laid, he weened well that he indeed was dead, like as that other knight to him had said. But when he nigh approached, he mote read plain signs in him of life and livelihead, whereat much grieved against that stranger knight, that him too light of credence did mislead. He would have back retired from that sight that was to him on earth the deadliest despite. But that same knight would not once let him start, but plainly gan to him declare the case of all his mischief and late luckless smart how both he and his fellow there in place were vanquished, and put to foul disgrace, and how that he, in lieu of life him lent, had vowed unto the victor him to trace and follow through the world, where so he went, till that he him delivered to his punishment. He, therewith much abashed and afraid, began to tremble every limb and vein, and softly whispering him, entirely prayed to advise him better than by such a train him to betray unto a stranger swain, yet rather counselled him contrariwise, sith he likewise did wrong by him sustain, to join with him and vengeance to devise, whilst time did offer means him sleeping to surprise. Not less for all his speech the gentle knight would not be tempted to such villainy, regarding more his faith which he did plight, all were it to his mortal enemy than to entrap him by false treachery. Great shame in liege's blood to be embrued. Thus, whilst they were debating diversely, the salvage forth out of the wood issued, back to the place where as his lord he sleeping viewed. There, when he saw those two so near him stand, he doubted much what mote their meaning be, and throwing down his load out of his hand to eat great store of forest fruit, which he had for his food late gathered from the tree, himself unto his weapon he betook, that was an oaken plant, which lately he rent by the root, which he so sternly shook, that like an hazel wand it quivered and quook. Whereat the prince awaking, when he spied the traitor Turpin with that other knight, he started up, and snatching near his side his trusty sword, the servant of his might, like a fell lion leaped to him light, and his left hand upon his collar laid, 
Therewith the cowherd, deaded with affright, fell flat to ground, no word unto him said, but holding up his hands with silence mercy prayed. But he so full of indignation was that to his prayer naught he would incline, but as he lay upon the humbled grass, his foot he set on his vile neck, in sign of servile yoke that nobler hearts repine. Then, letting him arise, like abject thrall, he gan to him object his heinous crime, and to revile and rate, and recreant call, and lastly to despoil of knightly banner all. And after all, for greater infamy, he by the heels him hung upon a tree, and baffled so that all which passed by the picture of his punishment might see, and by the like example warned be, however they through treason do trespass. But turn we now back to that lady free whom late we left riding upon an ass, led by a carl and fool which by her side did pass. She was a lady of great dignity, and lifted up to honourable place, famous through all the land of fairy, though of mean parentage and kindred base, yet decked with wondrous gifts of nature's grace, that all men did her person much admire, and praise the feature of her goodly face. The beams whereof did kindle lovely fire in the hearts of many a knight and many a gentle squire. But she thereof grew proud and insolent, that none she worthy thought to be her fear, but scorned them all that love unto her meant. Yet was she loved of many a worthy peer, unworthy she to be beloved so dear, that could not weigh of worthiness aright. For beauty is more glorious, bright, and clear the more it is admired of many a white, and noblest she that servid is of noblest knight. But this coy damsel thought contrariwise, that such proud looks would make her praise it more, and that the more she did all loves despise, the more would wretched lovers her adore. What carried she who sighed for her sore, or who did wail or watch the weary night? Let them that list their luckless lot deplore. She was born free, not bound to any wight, and so would ever live and love her own delight. Through such her stubborn stiffness and hard heart many a wretch, for want of remedy, did languish long in life-consuming smart, and at the last through dreary dolor die, whilst she, the lady of her liberty, did boast her beauty had such sovereign might that with the only twinkle of her eye she could or save or spill whom she would height. What could the gods do more but do it more aright? But lo, the gods that mortal follies view did worthily revenge this maiden's pride, and not regarding her so goodly hue did laugh at her that many did deride, whilst she did weep of no man mercified. For on a day when Cupid kept his court as he is wont at each St. Valentine, unto the wit all lovers do resort, that of their love's success they there may make report, it fortuned then that when the rolls were read in which the names of all love's folk were filed, that many there were missing, which were dead, or kept in bands, or from their loves exiled, or by some other violence despoiled, which when as Cupid heard he wexed wroth, and doubting to be wronged or beguiled, he bade his eyes to be unblindfold both, that he might see his men and muster them by oath. Then found he many missing of his crew, which want do suit and service to his might, of whom what was becomen no man knew. 
Therefore a jury was impaneled straight to inquire of them whether, by force or slight, or their own guilt, they were away conveyed, to whom foul infamy and fell despite gave evidence that they were all betrayed and murdered cruelly by a rebellious maid. Fair Mirabella was her name, whereby of all those crimes she there indicted was, all which when Cupid heard, he by and by in great displeasure, willed a Capius should issue forth to catch that scornful lass. The warrant straight was made, and therewithal a bailiff errant forth in post did pass, whom they by name their Portamore did call, he which doth summon lovers to love's judgment hall. The damsel was attached, and shortly brought unto the bar, whereas she was arraigned. But she thereto no plead nor answer aught, even for stubborn pride which her restrained. So judgment passed, as is by law ordained in cases like, which, when at last she saw, her stubborn heart, which love before disdained, gan stoop, and falling down with humble awe, cried mercy to abate the extremity of law. The son of Venus, who is mild by kind, but where he is provoked with peevishness, unto her prayers piteously inclined, and did the rigor of his doom repress. Yet not so freely, but that natheless he unto her a penance did impose, which was that through this world's wide wilderness she wander should in company of those, till she had saved so many loves as she did lose. So now she had been wandering two whole years throughout the world in this uncomely case, wasting her goodly hue in heavy tears, and her good days in dolorous disgrace. Yet had she not in all those two years space saved but two, yet in two years before, through her dispiteous pride, whilst love lacked place, she had destroyed two and twenty more. Ay me, how could her love make half amends therefore? And now she was upon the weary way, when as the gentle squire, with fair serene, met her in such misseeming foul array, the whiles that mighty man did her demean with all the evil terms and cruel mean that he could make, and eke that angry fool which followed her, with cursed hands unclean whipping her horse, did with his smarting tool oft whip her dainty self, and much augment her duel. Nay, ought it mote avail her to entreat the one or the other better her to use, for both so wilful were and obstinate that all her piteous plaint they did refuse, and rather did the more her beat and bruise. But most the former villain, which did lead her tireling jade, was bent her to abuse, who, though she were with weariness nigh dead, yet would not let her light, nor rest a little stead. For he was stern and terrible by nature, and eke of person huge and hideous, exceeding much the measure of man's stature, and rather like a giant monstrous. Forsooth he was descended of the house of those old giants, which did wars to reign against the heaven in order battleless, and sib to great Orgoglio, which was slain by Arthur, when as Una's knight he did maintain. His looks were dreadful, and his fiery eyes like two great beacons, glared bright and wide, glancing askew, as if his enemies he scorned in his overweening pride, and stalking stately like a crane, did stride at every step upon the tiptoes high. And all the way he went, on every side he gazed about, and stared horribly, as if he with his looks would all men terrify.
he wore no armor, never none did care, as no whit dreading any living wight, but in a jacket, quilted richly rare upon Checklayton, he was strangely dight, and on his head a roll of linen plight, like to the moors of Malabar he wore, with which his locks as black as pitchy night were bound about, and voided from before, and in his hand a mighty iron club he bore. This was Disdain, who led that lady's horse through thick and thin, through mountains and through plains, compelling her where she would not by force, hailing her palfrey by the hempen reins. But that same fool which most increased her pains was Scorn, who, having in his hand a whip, her therewith yurks, and still when she complains, the more he laughs, and does her closely quip, to see her sore lament, and bite her tender lip. Whose cruel handling, when that squire beheld, and saw those villains her so vilely used, his gentle heart with indignation swelled, and could no longer bear so great abuse, as such a lady so to beat and bruise but to him stepping such a stroke him lent that forced him thalter from his hand to loose, and moger all his might back to relent, else had he surely there been slain or foully shent. The villain, wroth for greeting him so sore, gathered himself together soon again, and with his iron baton which he bore let drive at him so dreadfully amain that for his safety he did him constrain to give him ground, and shift to every side, rather than once his burden to sustain, for bootless thing him seemed to abide so mighty blows, or prove the puissance of his pride. Like as a mastiff, having at a bay a salvage bull, whose cruel horns do threat desperate danger, if he them assay, traceth his ground, and round about doth beat, to spy where he may some advantage get, the whiles the beast doth rage and loudly roar, so did the squire, the whiles the carl did fret and fume in his disdainful mind the more, and oftentimes by termagant and mahound swore. Nathless, so sharply still he him pursued, that at advantage him at last he took when his foot slipped, that slip he dearly rude, and with his iron club to ground him struck, where still he lay nay out of swoon awoke till heavy hand the carl upon him laid and bound him fast though when he up did look and saw himself captived he was dismayed ne power had to withstand ne hope of any aid then up he made him rise and forward fair led in a rope which both his hands did bind ne aught that fool for pity did him spare but with his whip him following behind him often scourged and forced his feet to find and otherwhiles with bitter mocks and mows he would him scorn that to his gentle mind was much more grievous than the other's blows words sharply wound but greatest grief of scorning grows the fair serena when she saw him fall under that villain's club, then surely thought that slain he was, or made a wretched thrall, and fled away with all the speed she might to seek for safety, which long time she sought, and passed through many perils by the way, ere she again to Calipine was brought, the which discourse as now I must delay, till Mirabella's fortunes I do further say. End of Canto 7 Recording by Thomas Copeland.